Hello Spectrumites and other people, my name is Forrest and welcome to episode 9 of The Pancake King, Life and Marriage on the Spectrum. In this podcast, I'm going to give you insights on the autism spectrum, break down some of the myths surrounding it, tell you stories about my experiences on the spectrum, as well as the marriage I have with someone else on the spectrum, and allow you to have a window into my life through conversations I have with friends and family. Most importantly, I hope you learn something from this series, as well as have fun listening to it. So in this episode, I have with me my wife KG once again. Hello! Hi. And uh, we're here to actually do something a bit different. Uh, So we got engaged in early 2019. I believe it was April. Would you like to would you like to tell the story real briefly about how exactly that went down? You mean the part about how you opened the box upside down? Yes. Or the fact (laughs) that I was sitting on the ground when you did so. So when you kneeled down, you were still higher than me when you opened the ring box upside down. Correct. (laughs) Yes. Would you like to explain that a bit? I think I just did. <laughs> yeah. I proposed to you um, in your bedroom. You were still living with your parents at the time. And um, I happened to hold the ring box uh, upside down as I was holding it up to holding it up, quote unquote, to you. You were just trying to put your shoes on. We were just trying to go out on a date and I wanted to just wanted to do it right then and there, you know? Yeah, I think my sister was more excited. <laughs> I think my sister was the most excited out of everyone in my family when I showed them the ring. Yeah, right. Do you remember her reaction? She was like, Oh no, you're being given away to that guy. No, she likes <laughs> no. you. I know, I know. Well, she was the one that did the uh, the speech at, at our wedding yeah. during the reception. So did your brother. Yep, uh-huh. So um, I became maybe slightly hyper-fixated <laughs> on... Uh, reading a couple of... Couple. There's four on the stack right now. Yeah. I know there was a few more, uh, that I read in the months leading up to our wedding, uh, wedding, but basically I started, uh, reading a bunch of, um, marriage books, and then I would hand some of them off to, to you to read. So I thought it'd be kind of fun if, uh, if I took the books that, um that I, and in some cases you had read during those months. So we can kind of like briefly go over um, what we learned from them or what we quote unquote learned from them and decide whether or not we can recommend them. Uh, You mean for people on the spectrum, that is? Yes. The problem that we have with the market when it comes to these how-to books or marriage books is that there is not a single book out there that I'm aware of um, in the market that is a book about marriage between two people on the autism spectrum, or God forbid, a person on the autism spectrum and a neurotypical person. Mm-hmm. Now, which is why you wanted to make this podcast in the first place. Yes, that is uh, precisely correct. We need something like this in the market. Now, that doesn't mean that no marriage book written for neurotypical people are absolutely unhelpful for people on the autism spectrum. But we will go into um, how little these books actually offered in the grand scheme of things, and the fact that we actually tended to learn more just from personal experience. But also, I want to mention that because no two people on the spec, no two people who have autism 
have the same type of autism. Just because these books didn't apply to us doesn't mean that two people on the spectrum can't read these and actually find something valuable. Correct. Now, before we get into this, I just want to uh, give a little bit of a heads up. We are recording this on the 4th of July, 2022. Uh, it is the evening, and um, people like to uh, shoot off fireworks on the 4th of July. If you uh, ha happen to hear any, like, banging sounds in the background, that is why. I will try to do the best I can in the editing process to filter it out, but in case I'm not able to do it at times, there you go. I think we might be safe. They usually set them off when it gets darker. It's still pretty light out. Yeah. And uh, we keep these episodes short, or at least I try to. So, um, the first one I'm going to get into is actually one that uh, your father gave me to read um, after I had that whole conversation with him about um, wanting to propose to you. And so he gave this book away to me, a copy of it. It's called His Needs, Her Needs, Building in a Fair Proof Marriage by Willard F. Harley Jr. Why don't you tell the people when it was first published? Yes, that's important. Very we need important. to get into this bit uh, before we continue. Uh, but basically, this book was first published in 1986. Yeah. Yeah. This we... book was first published in 1986. Now, and then it was republished again in 1994. Right. So this is an old one. And uh, given that it's 2022 now, I'd say it's pretty outdated. Uh, why don't we go into a couple of those factors? Okay. Now, if you just even look at the uh, chapter names, uh, there's stuff like the first thing she can't do without affection or the first thing he can't do without sexual fulfillment. Now, we're not going to get explicit in this podcast, but I dare say that this book deals with some stereotypes. I would say so. It deals with some uh, male stereotypes, female stereotypes. There's a lot of assumptions made in this book about uh, what exactly a, man, a man's needs are and what exactly a woman's needs are. What are the roles that the man and the woman must fulfill in a marriage for each other? I, one of the things I actually do remember off the top of my head about this book was that they said that a man and a woman, when they, when they get married and start a family, should have four to five children. And I read that. I'm like, no, that hmm. sounds hard. Especially in this day and age. <laughs> and expensive. Most people, <laughs> most people feel uncomfortable having one child nowadays. Mm -hmm. And so... I should all, um, maybe we should also point out that one of the reasons why the stereotypes didn't work for us is because of the, how to phrase it, the autistic people don't exactly follow gender norms. Right. So an autistic, an autistic woman might be more masculine, while a autistic male might be more feminine. So already the stereotypes listed in this book can't really apply to that. And we're actually going to delve into that more in another episode. Delve into the, um, uh, how autistic men and autistic women fit the, um, fit the gender roles. Yeah. And how they differ from neurotypical people. Yeah. Because we can say from personal experience, um, that it is definitely different. Yeah. I think it's funny, there's uh, a title for, it. one of the chapter titles is He Needs Peace and Quiet, and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, because this chapter literally goes into this, like, 
um, the husband needs, like, literal peace and quiet in the home. I don't know about you, that's me! Right, I, I, I don't know, it's like, what do you mean by that exactly? I I think that's funny. I think it means, like, the, the, the husband need, um... The, the wife needs to control the children. Is that what it went into in that chapter? Yeah, it yeah. did. Yeah, the wife needs to help control the children so that the husband doesn't feel stressed out. But why can't the husband contribute to that? Because he's the husband for us. <laughs> Again, it's these the, old... The wife it's these, is, the chi- is the child rear force. Don't you understand? It's these old traditions and roles, though, that just don't... That simply just don't apply, you know, um, mm. today. I mean, in some cases, women are actually the ones like working while the men stay at home with the kids i mean these roles are reversed at times of course it's not to say that a woman shouldn't feel ashamed for wanting to be a housewife and wanting to um child rear that's not that's nothing to be ashamed of if that's what you want to do with your life that's totally fine right I, i think a book like this now if you read this like older people if um if you read this if you liked it and it actually helped you in your marriage, that's fine. Now, interestingly, though, if you were to ask me, would you recommend this book for people on the autism spectrum who are getting married? Normally, I would say no right away. But the interesting thing about this book is that as dry as it is, it's very dryly written, by the way. Very. Like, there's nothing fun. There's no fun, quote-unquote, fun vibe about this book, like other marriage books we've read. Um... And I think that's kind of part of the problem about this book is that it lacks some of the joy and the, uh, what was it, frivolity? Um, frivolity. Or frivolity um, that marriage books would have. Because here's the thing. Marriage is fun, or at least it can be. Um, but autistic people might get something out of this book despite how outdated it is because of the sort of structure that it introduces. It introduces structure, tradition, um, and set expectations. Autistic people like this type of stuff. I would agree with you for the most part, but I would counter it again with the gender stereotypes the book pushes forward. Because again, say an autistic person's reading this book and they're getting married to a neurotypical person. Mm -hmm. And they read all these different stereotypes about the opposite person and they think, oh, this must be what this person likes. And when, but, but they might come to find that this person doesn't like that, which would then cause stress to the autistic individual because this book is giving them the structure like yes this is how it's supposed to work why isn't this working right Right. so i can see why it would work but i can also see how it also couldn't work because everybody's different nothing no there's no one way to please another person right i mean did did you and I, like, apply any of the stuff found in this book to our marriage? Not no. really. <laughs> in fact, out of, the, out of all the books that I have on this pile, um, the content in this one is the one that I remember the least. Yeah. I only really remember that it was very dry, not fun to read. Um, I remember there were kind even... Kind of preachy, almost. Yeah, very preachy. I remember there were times where, like, you, you, or, you or I would uh, text each other at certain points and go... What is this crap I'm reading? <laughs> like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, 2019 wasn't that long ago. I mean, th- times have changed, and that doesn't necessarily... It, like, I don't want to give this book too much crap because 
we as humans, we learn more as we go. You know, it's like we learn more as we go. We learn better as, as time progresses. I mean, even even what we knew about autism back in 1986 is not at all what we know now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just autism. It's mm-hmm. not, that's not even marriage. Um, so again, would I recommend it typically? If you, mm. had to, if you had to rate it out of 10. Um, it's probably gonna, well, actually, should I rate it, um, based on how helpful it was? Um, base, rate it twice. Rate it on how helpful it was to us and how helpful you think it would be for other autistic individuals. Okay. Well, um, I'd probably give this a four out of 10. For for, us. For us? For, like, how helpful it was. Yeah, for us. And then just on an enjoyability factor alone or just a reader standpoint, probably a two. But what about for helping other autistic individuals? Yeah, I'm going to say that's probably, like, a three. Okay. All these numbers are negative. I'm not exactly, you know, uh, going to praise this book. It was an old book, and I'm sorry, (laughs) father-in-law. I'm going to put that one aside. This next book, I don't really remember much of, but it was written by Gary Chapman, who is the author of The Five Love Languages. We'll get to that book soon. But this one is called Things I Wish I'd Known Before We Got Married. And this was one that I think you even read in like three days, and we didn't even really talk about well, it I mean, afterwards. It's like a, for clarification for the audience, it is a pretty short book. It is a very short book. Um, it, it just has stuff like... How to Solve Disagreements Without Arguing, Apologizing Being a Sign of Strength, That Forgiveness is Not a Feeling, That Toilets Are Not Self-Cleaning. <laughs> um, if you, you remember that mini skit from a couple episodes ago, there it is, right there. <laughs> yep. um, I, I think there was some good stuff uh, in this book, though. Um, especially when you have something like Forgiveness is Not a Feeling. Well, thank God, because feelings is not exactly one of our strong suits. Especially me. As people on the autism spectrum. Forgiveness is something that, it's not a feeling, it's a choice. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I struggle with choices, but my motivation in choosing forgiveness is because I don't want to wake up the next morning feeling bitter towards the person sleeping next to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So... When it comes to forgiveness, uh, like, what about you? Like, forgiveness is not a feeling. That is correct. But um, how do you interpret it then? Or how do you, in your autistic mind, uh, process it? Well, I don't want to... Well, usually forgiveness comes about because we've had some sort of argument. I'm speaking from personal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, or some disagreement. Today. <laughs> or some disagreement in general. Yeah. And as an autistic person, my one of my weaknesses is that I and I've tried this before in the past when I went to therapy is learning is learning specific emotions and how they feel. I was never quite able to grasp that. So whenever I get frustrated or just or like emotional, mm-hmm. I can't really tell you what I'm feeling. Right. I just know that I'm feeling it. Right. And I know that by forgiving, it will help me get rid of this feeling, this, you know, really horrible feeling. Right, right. 
Um, I liked that there was a chapter in this book uh, that said that we needed a plan for handling our money. Correct. As a matter of fact, it was kind of funny because we did talk about money before we got married. Um, so your dad is a licensed financial advisor. Yes. Um, and, um, you know, my dad is a bit of a financial person himself. And your fact, um, your dad called me a financial genius. Yes, he did. In front of the whole church. But, and it um, was amazing. <laughs> and so... Um, but it was kind of funny because I remember, uh, you know, we would talk about money and budgeting before we got married, but it was actually really, really hard for me to grasp the con, the concept, excuse me, that since we were married, our money is ours. Yes. Like going into it, I still thought of it as, well, when paying the rent, I contribute half and you contribute half. It's like, no. We together mm -hmm. contribute, you know, it's like that have Bugs, all of it. It's like that Bugs Bunny meme. Ours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and I remember kind of like um, struggling to figure that out. But hey, we can recommend something to our listeners. So for budgeting, we use an app called YNAB. Why don't you explain briefly what that is? Well, it's short for You Need a Budget. It's very simple um easy to use um it's help it's both you can both access it through your computer or you can download the app it helps you figure out categories you can um for budgeting you can link it to your bank account so that you can see all of your purchases or all of the checks or all the it hang on it shows you all the <laughs> her her um her brain can work faster than her mouth that's one of uh, the most endearing things about her <laughs> um so you can link it to your bank account so you can see both the money going out and the money coming in. And the, when the money comes in, you can adjust it, uh, adjust it uh, accordingly to if you need to put more money in certain categories or if you want to put it away for future budgeting. Um, definitely recommend it. I've, we've had it for, well, I've had it for years. And then when <laughs> we got married, all I had to do was just add his money to my account. And we were able to just set it up so that we could both have fun money but also pay for what we need and with inflation the way it is now we obviously had to make some adjustments but we were able to like talk about it and adjust accordingly yeah so talking finances is a it is somewhat a constant in marriage but whether you're autistic or not although i would say it's even more important for autistic people um make sure that you have a plan before you get married and make sure that you stay on top of that plan um, mutually throughout the marriage. Mm -hmm. um, because, and I think setting up a budget would be great for autistic people who are very particular about a certain structure. You yeah. know, I, I think that'll be one of the challenges though, because it's been challenging for us. You know, I have my own perspective on money and you have yours. Um, I'm more of a spender, you're more of a saver, although inflation has kind of forced me to rethink my life um, <laughs> and uh, and change some of the habits. And it's because we've changed some of those habits that we're still doing pretty well dis despite the circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, like, even though this book has nothing to do with, um, you know, people on the autism spectrum getting married, I would say that, yes, having a plan for handling your money before... Uh, before you get married is great. Even having an app already set up with a, a with a budget to go, figuring out what are your individual priorities when it comes to um, your money and how you can unite those um, 
unite those goals together. It's always important to have money set. It's always important to have a budget that allows you to to pay all of your bills, but also leave you enough left over for you to have fun. That's the most important thing. Right. So if you wanted to rate it um, out of 10 for how helpful it was for us. Yeah, um, I'm just going to say like an 8 out of 10, because y y it's not like you and I really referenced this book much after we got married. I'm just kind of like, I'm flipping through it right now, I'm looking at these chapters, and I realize that a lot of this stuff are things that we were thankfully already, like, talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I do remember that as I was reading this book, um, after each chapter, I would like, I would text you about this and be like, hey... This is um, things I wish I'd known before we got married. Um, this is something that the author wishes he talked about before he got married. So l let us talk about it. Sure. And you know? uh, enjoyability out of 10. I, th I would say it's uh, probably like an 8. Yeah, it's Gary Chapman. He knows how to write. Yeah, he does. And uh, we're not even done with him in this episode. All so. right. And then out, out of 10, how helpful do you think it'd be for all other autistic individuals? Uh, I think that even though this book isn't geared specifically towards people on the autism spectrum, um, I would say probably a nine, you know? I think it does have, I think it does allow some structure for autistic people to talk about their, with their future partners. Autistic people thrive off of knowing what they're getting into ahead of time. Yeah, that I means that would They make do not like just making things up as they go along. Yeah, it helps the change, or as I, as we like to call it. The change. Uh huh. I don't think people on the autism spectrum are known for quote unquote winging it. Except you. Except me. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, no um, two people have the same type of autism. This is true. So uh, the next book that I would turn to, which also um, I think had some important things, is called uh, The Naked Marriage by Dave and Ashley Willis. Now, of course, you know, just looking at the title at face value, you'd think this is a book exclusively about sex. It is not. Uh, there's a part of the book that um, covers that, but The Naked Marriage, what they mean by that actually is the fact that now that the two of you are married, uh, it's extremely important to be as open and honest with each other as possible, thus naked marriage like you're not as you're in, not hiding anything as in it's metaphorical yes <laughs> um yeah and only at one part of the book literal but yeah um it's metaphorical as in you're not hiding anything from your spouse you're not like keeping anything from your spouse and the book kind of goes into the fact that whatever you're hiding from your spouse it may not be out of um ill intent it might just be out of feeling afraid of how the other person will look at you if you share this part of yourself with that person. Um, I think this is really uh, helpful, um, even though, the, again, this book is not directed towards people on the autism spectrum. I think it's very helpful. I'm pretty sure I read this book twice. Um, you might have. I don't remember. Yeah, I either read it twice or I um, started reading it a second well, some time. Of the, what are some of the chapter titles? So, if there are any chapter and, titles. And, well, and thankfully I remember a lot of, you know, what was even, like, talked about in this book. Just um, communication, honesty... Um, dealing with past scars, dealing with um, forgiveness, uh, stuff like that. Um, I think you and I have had communication issues in the past. Well, we're autistic. That's, and in the present, but yeah. That's aut aut hang on. Uh-huh. 
communication can be hard for autistic people because of our lack of social skills. Um, we also tend to prioritize what we believe is important. Yeah. So it's like, um, there are some things that I may not tell you about, not because I don't trust you with it or necessarily because I feel uncomfortable with it. Although there are some cases like that. Um, it is a lot of, a lot of the time because in my autistic mind, I don't feel like it, it may not be important enough to mention. Yeah. You know, I think you, even your parents have like come to you about stuff and, and we're like, did you even think to tell force about this? And you're like, no. And they're like, it's something he should probably know. <laughs> I'm just reminded of... About the fact that you're on the autism <laughs> spectrum. You now, knew of course, that already. I knew that already, but I, I do, I have wondered um, what it would have been like if I didn't. I don't know. Given how I had a hard time with other people knowing about me on the spectrum back in the past, I feel like, I feel like maybe it would have taken a little while until I got more comfortable with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm sure it would have come out eventually. Yeah. Uh, you and I, I mean, we've had... We've had fights, although, mm -hmm. it, I, let's just call them fights. It, it's it's so easy to want to, like, tone it down and say, no, they were just disagreement. No, they were fights. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think typically we've handled that pretty well, but that's, again, that's a, communi that's a communication thing. Mm -hmm. um, but again, autistic people have the tendency to think, oh, I don't need to tell, you know, my partner this. Right. Um... And you need to stop. <laughs> I mean, it's time to stop. It, yeah, it's to, it, yeah. Um, if if you have something like if you know something or there's um, a habit you have or something like that, where maybe you just ever so slightly feel like you should uh, tell your partner this, even if you feel that just slightly, just tell them. You know, and it, and it, it's hard. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I'm not going to pretend that it's easy. There's a lot of things that I've had to tell KG here that I, you know, was not comfortable with. It made me wonder: will the will this actually change um, the way that she sees me? That 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 has been a struggle of mine. Has been a struggle of mine in the past, and it's still sort of a struggle now. Though thankfully not as hard as it was even just a few years back. Yeah. Um, and then like it's safe uh, to say that. Uh, you were the same way. I think if if you want a book that will help motivate you to just be more co like metaphorically naked and um, and honest with your um, spectrumite partner, uh, this is a pretty solid book for it. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, on an enjoyable on an enjoyability factor, this was probably like a nine out of ten. It was it was. Everything was well laid out, but it was also fun. And then helpfulness for us out of 10? Probably a 9.5. Okay. Maybe 10, to be honest. This might be the first perfect score we've gotten yeah. uh, so far. And then recommendation rec recommendation for other Spectrumites. Well, like I said, even though it's not geared directly towards uh, people on the autism spectrum, I think... There's no book that is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I get to say that for every one of these. Um, I'm going to give this... Um, Probably a 9 out of 10. Okay. Now, I mean, it's been a few years since I read it, uh, so I, you know, there might be parts of the book that just doesn't connect with um, the spectrumite or with the autistic individual, but, um, but again, this would help uh, lay out the importance of just being completely open and honest uh, No matter how uncomfortable it makes you feel. And we autistic people have what I like to call autistic embarrassment, <laughs> which is the... Which is, which is a situation we find ourselves in which 
where we want to do something, but inwardly we're like, no, what if people think we're weird? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. we don't do it because we're afraid of looking weird. I call that autistic embarrassment. Right, right. And so, but that but applied to here, it could be like, no, oh, I don't know if I want to tell my partner this. They might think I'm weird. Well, I mean, I won't go into, <laughs> I won't go into like uh, specifics, but it's kind of funny because there are times where like, I'll approach you and I'm like rubbing my hand against the back <laughs> of my neck or I'm, uh, or I'm like having a really hard time making eye contact with you qui- quieter than normal. or I'm quieter than normal. And, um, and at this point you're like, I know why you're coming up to me spill, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I won't go into specifics, but you're like, I know, I know what you're here about when you act like that. <laughs> what is it? Just spill it. Just spill it already. <laughs> I know, I know at least the basics. <laughs> um, right, I tend, yeah. Let's move on to the next book. Okay, so finally, um, we save the best for last. This is a great book if you're dating or married. Um, so, funny story about this. You and I were sitting in um, um, your parents' living room watching The Defenders on Netflix uh, <laughs> a few years ago. And your dad called, um, your dad called both of us into, (laughs) Not just um, me, both of us. Yeah, your dad called both of us into, uh, into the dining room. And I remember being scared out of my mind. (laughs) Because it was the first time it had ever happened. At that point, we had been dating for almost a year. And if, if, for those who don't know my dad, he's kind of terrifying. But not because he, not because he's a mean type of person he's just very stoic and he has a very stoic face and if you stare at it too long you feel like you're about to burst into flames <laughs> yeah right <laughs> so he he called us in the other he calls into the other room and he was just kind of um uh, I know that it was based on some of the conversations I was having with your uh, mom at the time because, um, because I guess... Because you had to talk to my parents instead of me at that point. <laughs> yeah. Because you didn't understand me yet. The, the funny thing is, I can't even remember the last time I've talked to your parents just about, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, that that's, like, I felt like I had to. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, one of the things that I was sort of taking issue with was maybe just a feeling of stagnancy in the relationship. You know, it didn't feel like there was much um, progression. Um, I didn't feel that way, but I'm me. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but your dad kind of suspected that it might be because, um, at least in my case, I was feeling like something was lacking. Like, you know, there's there needed to be something just a bit more. Um, so he recommended the book The Five Love Languages uh, to us by Gary Chapman. And um, I'm sure that if you're listening to this, you probably already know what this book is. Or it's a very popular the, book. Or at least know what the five love languages are. Yeah. Um, so actually, let's actually go over what the five love, love languages are real quick. Okay, there's gifts, mm-hmm. physical affection, um, acts. Acts of service. Acts yeah. of service. Um... Words of affirmation. Words of affirmation and quality time. Quality time, yeah. So, you're... Uh, why don't we go over, like, what each what each love language means, so... Mm-hmm. Gifts is pretty obvious. It means... Which is mine, by the way. Yeah, this is uh, KG's. Yeah. It just means you go out and you buy something that you know your um, partner likes. Like, for me, it's snacks and candy. Forrest always goes... Forrest tends to go out and get me candy and brings it back, and it's the best feeling ever. <laughs> or he'll just go out and buy me one of my favorite sodas. I'm not someone who... 
Of course, that could change between um, person to person. The the book recommends like flowers, you know, fancy chocolate stuff. I like got that. her flowers once and then never did again because it just didn't um, impact her. Yeah, that's not to say that. That's not to say like, oh, if I go out and buy something for my partner and give it to them as a gift, then they'll that'll that'll fill their love language. No, it it has to be a specific thing that you know they actually like. Right. And then um, physical, physical... Um... If she's asking you, if she's saying that she will only be satisfied if you go out and buy some, like, $500 thing for her, you you know, please don't do that. <laughs> You'll have to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And then the other one, then the next one is physical affection, which is Forrest's love language. Why don't mm-hmm. you explain that one? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't even have to be anything, like, over the top or whatever. It's... Something as simple as like uh, hugs, hand holding, you know, um, arm around the shoulder, stuff like that. Um, yeah, just put it, just it means, to put it very simply. It just means you know, holding the other person, being near the other person. Right. Yeah. And then the other one is acts of service, which means um, say it's mostly doing stuff around the house. Doing stuff around the house or. Um, Mowing the lawn, raking the leaves, doing some. If there's something that your partner does all the time and you want to surprise them, like say they do all the dishes all the time and you want to surprise them, do the dishes for them. Mm-hmm. And that'll be an act of service. Right. And then the other one is words of affirmation, which just means, you know, tell them they look pretty today. Tell them tell, if, they, if they worked hard and they come home after a long day of work, tell them, hey, you worked really hard today. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that. Stuff like, you know, I'm proud of you, you know, I love you, stuff like that. I mean, that that really helps fill the love tank as the It sounds really simple, it. but some yeah. peop- that's how some people, that's their love language. That's how they feel good about themselves and feel loved. Yeah, quality time is pretty self-explanatory. I would say that that one goes in second place for both of us. Yeah, um, it just means going out to a movie, going out on a, it means dates. Which is, especially, which is especially important when you're married, when you feel like, and especially if you have kids, it's especially important mm-hmm. to have quality time. You yeah. need to set aside time where it's just you and your partner going out and having a date. Yeah, never stop dating even after you get married. Treat your dates like it's the first one. Well, okay, maybe not that much, but uh, yeah. And of course, you don't have to be, it doesn't have to be like an every week type of thing. I know, I mean, family time is also important if you have kids, but... Set aside, like, one day a month or two days a month to go out on a date with your partner. Absolutely. You can afford a babysitter for, for two days. Right. So, yeah, uh, your dad um, recommended this book to us because he figured it would help us maybe kind of get beyond that position of stagnancy. Well, it was a lifesaver, or, yes. as, you, or as we might call a relationship saver. Uh, it really, it changed the direction of our relationship from that point on and has continued to have it have an influence um on us today the book is excuse me the book is ridiculously straightforward um it's very well laid out uh this guy i swear he releases like an updated edition of this book every five four three years um uh just to kind of like uh, modernize it and um it's extremely helpful so whether you're in a relationship or you are married, it's very helpful. And what also helps is that there's a quiz at the end of the book that that you and your partner can go through and fill out, and it will help you figure out what your love language is. A quiz that you and I both took yeah. after we read the book. Yeah, so definitely recommend taking the quiz right after you read the book. 
Um, I feel like it would help autistic people, again, because of how straightforward it is. It lists mm -hmm. examples of things you can do to for each love language, which is always really helpful for autistic people, because if you just say something like, my love language is acts of service, and <laughs> never say anything else, mm -hmm. an autistic person would be like, okay, what does that mean? Well, unlike all the other books that we just covered, um, this one is the only one in the pile where I feel like it's a book that people on the autism spectrum can read, and they'll feel like they're learning a little bit about themselves as they do. Yeah. You know, they'll like they'll read it and go, oh, wait, this might actually dis describe me. Yeah. Or it explains this part of me. Yeah. This is the only book in the, in the pile that I can think of that does that. Especially since, as I said, autistic individuals do not have very good social skills. Love, love language, um, you know, nonverbal communication is very hard for us. So having a book that helps explain it and explains, okay, this is why, this is why your partner likes it if you do the dishes for them. This is why your partner likes it if you spend time with them. This is why your partner likes it if you're physically affectionate, which is, which is something that comes, that doesn't come natural to um, autistic individuals. We tend to <clears throat> not like physical affection. Yeah, uh, one of my struggles is being able to like communicate uh, stuff that I want, whether it's because uh, it feels embarrassing to me or I don't know how to put it in words. Like mm -hmm. the words are there in my mind. It's just getting those words out of my mouth in a coherent uh, in, uh, in a coherent way that you understand. Like now, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know that's always been a bit of a struggle for me. Yeah, and again, it can maybe. Maybe your autistic partner um, does have problems with communication. That's just something you'll need to work on. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, in all, in, in all honesty... But also, it, but again, going back to physical affection, if your partner, if, if, say, your love language is physical affection and you're neurotypical, but your partner is autistic and doesn't really like physical affection, don't try to force them to be physically affectionate if they're not comfortable. Let them do it themselves. Let them slowly like become more physically affectionate towards you let them take control of that right absolutely um i mean in all seriousness like throughout our dating relationship kg was normally the one who would call the shots when she would decide okay i'm willing to be physically affectionate in this way now like forrest mentioned in one of his previous episodes we took baby steps and baby steps are very important for an autistic individual because it allows the chain it allows them to control the change absolutely so, I mean, in all honesty, in all three, like, categories, I'd say it's, like, a 10 out of 10 across wow, the board. Wow, perfect score. Yeah. I mean, I really, really enjoyed this book. I'm pretty positive. I don't think I read the whole thing a second time, but I know I went back and read a few chapters. We've definitely also again. recommended it to other friends. Yes, we did. Um, I think this book, once again, not geared towards people specifically on the autism spectrum, but it really doesn't matter. I think this book would be very helpful for people on the spectrum. It would allow them to... Uh, learn more about themselves, um, like what their love language is, what makes them feel most loved, and how they can communicate that to um, to their spouse or their partner, whatever the case may be. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so that's the pile of books. Um, I know there were like a couple others that I read on Kindle or something like that, but uh, I either didn't finish them or didn't even start them. Point is, we don't have a physical copy of those. Correct. Um, and it's so crazy because I've had these books on my shelf now for several years, uh, untouched, but 
these were what I was uh, reading, like on the bus, at home, you know, uh, during that year when we were engaged. And, you mean um, nine months. Yeah, that nine months. And it, you know, it may not, it may not all have been helpful, but there were some things that uh, you and I definitely got out of it. And ultimately, though, uh, if there was any, like, final word I have on this episode, I would say that it doesn't matter how many books you read, because there were a lot I read, you know, mm-hmm. before we got married. I mean, there's four in that pile. Right. Um, and actually, that still isn't even all of them. But uh, it doesn't matter how many books you read um, before you get married. It doesn't matter how many podcasts you listen to or people you talk to. It doesn't matter. Nothing will ever be able to adequately prepare you uh, for the experience that is marriage once you step into it. Nope. So, do you have any final words? I, I think my final word would just be, experience will always trump knowledge. Yes, absolutely. So, again, you even if you don't read any marriage books, or whether you read every marriage book under the sun, you're never, like you said, you're never going to truly experience what marriage is until you're actually married and you're doing it for yourself isn't that terrifying absolutely (laughs) be scared (laughs) feel the fear (laughs) but anyway thank you guys for listening and um on to these messages hey guys while i have you i'd like to promote a singer and songwriter i've had the pleasure of getting to know david angus David has produced music for me in the past, including the opening song of my audio drama, Mortal Deity, which you can find on my YouTube channel, Vanza Productions. Check out his music on Spotify and download his albums when the clubs come out and his latest, Afters at the Casino. I know he'll appreciate it. Hey guys, if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast, write a review to help the show grow, and subscribe to my Substack at thepancakeking.substack.com to receive updates on new podcast episodes, a new blog post every Saturday, and other content I may put out. You can also check out the entertainment me, KG, and my friends make together on our YouTube channel, Vanza Productions. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.